Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BDW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino at chumbacasino.com. Choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. VGW Void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Hi, y'all, and welcome to Kudzu Killers, Homicide, and Sweet Tea, where we like to share gothic tales of southern style murder. I'm Lark, and the other voice you hear is Kim. Each week, we take turns telling you the gruesome details of serial killers, spree killers, and just plain old mean people that we find interesting, and we hope you do too. Sometimes quirky and weird, but always respectful. So sit back, grab your glass of iced tea, relax, and let us take you step-by-step through our story. And feel free to shoot us a comment on a specific episode on our blog at kudzukillerspodcast.blogspot.com. Now, let's get on with the show. literally cool because it's cool here today are you like totally <laughs> digging this weather well, uh, I love this. put up all the windows and I let love the air it. come in get out six months of grunge from this i am stuff. loving this and it's just like <laughs> easing us right on faster and faster to our favorite holiday which is I what know. halloween Woo-hoo! yes so <laughs> so kim and i love halloween for all the obvious reasons <laughs> Today's story is kind of got a little bit of a, well, it's got a creep factor for me anyway. So I don't know about you, Kim, but man, do wax museums creep you out? No, I actually love them. (laughs) Oh my God. They creep, they creep the hell out of me. (laughs) And this story is uh, particularly with a personal vibe since I was born and raised in the town that this took place. Okay. So I later even went to a sorority and fraternity Halloween parties there. Ah, I have the pictures to prove it. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I was a fairy. I was a pink fairy. (laughs) Anyway, uh, our story today includes not one, not two, but three wax museums. Who knew there could be such a demand? Oh, my God. In the the middle of Texas. (laughs) I know. Within miles, trust me. It's not that far from each other. Yeah. Wax in 110-degree weather. Exactly. (laughs) But, okay, consider that it was Dallas in the 80s, so all bets are off, okay? (laughs) So... Dallas has always been a very status and socially climbing place to be, FYI to y'all. And there's yeah, lots- Dallas is not, I'm sorry, Dallas is not cowboys and no. Indians and no. all of that stuff that you think of from a Western movie. Yeah, Dallas is very wealthy. Sophisticated and Very wealthy. sophisticated, lots of art museums, lots of things going on. Right, um, right. There may we, be some people out there that would disagree, but I'm telling you, it's a, <laughs> it's a pretty, it's a pretty nice city. Yeah, um, it's, I mean, it, to tell you the difference between Dallas and Fort Worth, like Fort Worth is old money. Fort Worth, you're going to have more, more older cowboys, old school. Dallas is more slick and shiny and sophisticated, newer money. But the point is, there's lots and lots of money, and it was mostly made the hard way, as in scratching and clawing in the oil fields or investing in oil wells 
or, or marrying the, up. Yes, yes, marrying <laughs> up. They get your, you know, we all kidded when we went to college that many of us were there for our MRS. <laughs> yes, of course. Any, anyway, <laughs> so anyway, so there's lots of money there. And there were big businesses that just, you know, exploded in the 80s. Big hair, big money, big daddy. <laughs> Anybody that saw Dallas. I was going to say, if you think about Dallas, this story is, this story in particular is not far from the truth at all. And you throw in a little strychnine poisoning and we've got a real life Agatha Christie, but with weird 80s wax museums. Okay. <laughs> so we, so while Kim and I, love Texas. And if you're from Texas, you're just like hardcore Texas. But it's not unusual for Texans to off each other, okay? Greed always trumps family, cover-ups with property, finances, and horses involving murder are much more rampant than are published. So y'all keep that in mind. So just like any Southern Gothic murder, (laughs) there are lots of shady Bigger than life suspects interwoven who all had motive. And yet this ultimately went unsolved and is still unsolved. Wow. Yeah. So you guys see if you can figure out who done it. So here we go. 43-year-old Patsy Bolton Wright was easily a millionaire in her own right. She was a knockout blonde and a socialite, make no mistake. But she actually preferred the world of horses the connection to the Texas her ancestors had known. She was the grandniece of legendary house speaker Sam Rayburn, and Patsy had grown up privileged in Highland Park. For those who don't know, Highland Park is a city surrounded by a city. Highland Park is where George Bush lives and that level of people, okay? So it is completely surrounded by Dallas, which is a strange little thing. She was um, the daughter of Tom Bolton, who was an eccentric autocratic oil man whose hobby was studying Texas history. In fact, interesting. Yeah. 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 He was. Yeah. In fact, a year prior to her death, she'd recently bought a cutting horse for $26,000. Okay. Now in today's money, that's about 87,000, if that puts her wealth into some perspective for y'all. For a horse. Yeah, for a horse. Just for that one horse. So she was really determined that she was going to ride him in competitions. And this all comes to play later. So I find it interesting that she called her gilding Dry Leo. And (laughs) several. Well, it doesn't ever say why, but my speculation is, is that. Several of the other players in this story were also called Leo. One man in particular, okay, later down the road, we'll see him. But I noticed these little details and these things, so like be on the lookout. And those of you who don't know what a gilding is, that is that would be like a neutered cat, a neutered male. He has, he has no oomph. What? what? <laughs> Yeah, he is. He's. He doesn't have what it takes anymore. So she was also in the process of buying a thirty-acre ranch in Alido, which is sort of outside of Fort Worth, while she was currently staying in a rental home in Arlington. The Monday before her death, her best friend Karen Beatty called to check on her after she had a dream that Patsy'd been killed by two men. Patsy just laughed it off, you know. It, yeah. <laughs> For all the boys, you're going to (laughs) die. Yeah, she just kind of blew it off. And, and, you know, but 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 honestly, for all the vices of the 80s, I'm kind of shocked that NyQuil took her down in the end. (laughs) The uh, the Wax Museum of the Southwest was the Grand Prairie institution founded by Patsy's father in 1963 and jointly owned by Patsy and her sister, Sally Horning. Though Sally had worked longer. With the museum, it was Patsy's business acumen and skill at public relations that had really built the museum into much more than uh, the old guy's hobby. And the museum was not just a tourist trap. It was also a social hub. And she held lots of social events there. Like I told you, I'd even been to several in the 80s, you know, Halloween parties and stuff and just parties. And on the night of October the 27th, I'm sorry, October the 22nd, 1987, was the kickoff of their most important event of the year, a dress rehearsal of the Halloween show at the Wax Museum that commingled wax monstrosities 
and actors dressed in costumes and a character named Dr. Blood presided over Dracula and Frankenstein and other ghouls from all the depths of mankind's subconscious. So after the rehearsal, which she had really just thought it was a huge success and was anxious for the actual party later, Mm -hmm. she went home to her house that she was renting and shortly before 3 a.m., which would have been technically October the 23rd, Patsy took a dose of NyQuil. And that was kind of her habit. If she couldn't sleep or she was anxious, she'd, she'd knock back the NyQuil. And, and that stuff can be addicting. Yeah. You well, yeah. To and the point people, where you can't sleep without it. Even right. And that's, counter stuff, you know? that's right. And um, who knows? But back then it might have been even stronger. But hey, people that were close to her knew that. Right. Almost immediately she began to gasp. And she made a frantic call to her sister, Sally oh, Horning. No. Mm-hmm. She told her that she'd taken 911, her- people. <laughs> I, you know, I don't know why she didn't call immediately. I mean, I, I would have called 911 personally. I'm not calling yeah. anybody that might not pick the phone up. So, right. so she tells Sally that she's taken her normal dose of NyQuil, and now she's feeling nauseous and having trouble breathing. And Patsy suddenly collapsed in the middle of the call. So Sally and her husband, Steve Horning, rushed over to Patsy's home to help her. And the front door was locked and Sally didn't have a key, but the Hornings were able to get into the house because Patsy's bedroom window was open. Again, 911. I'm telling you. So they both noticed that Patsy's burglar alarm hadn't been set. And she put one in after someone had broken several windows recently, but nothing was missing when they looked around, despite the fact that she had paintings and lots of valuables in the house. And even though it was temporary, she still had a lot of stuff there, you know, that Mm -hmm. they could steal. So Sally later remembered Patsy telling her that the spare keys she'd kept over the double oven had disappeared. So, okay. Patsy keys. Okay. Right. Patsy, dressed in her pink pajamas, was lying as if she had fainted on her king-size waterbed. (laughs) Oh, (laughs) jeez. She expired and threw her hand over her forehead. I hate to confess, but I had a waterbed at that time, too. (laughs) (laughs) We all did. I never had a waterbed, but Aaron did. Oh my goodness. Anyway, her eyes were open, but she was kind of starting to what what would you call it? She, she was trying she was starting to die, basically. She was fading yes. fast. Yeah, her eyes were open, but yeah, she couldn't see anything, so she was pretty much going down for the count. Well, Sally finally calls for an ambulance, okay? Steve later told the police that he moved a table with two plates on it away from the bed and began to administer CPR. Now, this makes me a little bit dubious because you really can't administer CPR on a bed, no. never mind a water bed, y'all, you know? Exactly. I mean, you what just, you- <laughs> yeah, uh-huh. So you drag then, them off the bed, people. Well, you know, so then they, <laughs> a paramedic told uh, Gus Gustafsson, the Arlington detective who handled the case, nobody performed CPR on this woman. At least not successfully. They might have fiddled at it, but he said nobody nobody did that. Also, neither the firemen nor the paramedics remember the table and the plates. It was later speculated she wasn't alone, but you can kind of decide hmm. that as we go. I mean, people kept asking about these plates. Well, anybody could have had two plates in their bedroom. All right. Well, or- yeah. Whatever. She ate a piece of cake one night and a piece of cake the other night, and she was a slob. Hello. Or she had them both in the same night. Who knows? But exactly. <laughs> so she was rushed to Arlington Memorial Hospital and declared dead at 4.15 a.m. One week later, an autopsy revealed traces of strychnine in Patsy's bloodstream. It turned out that someone had poisoned her by putting the strychnine in her NyQuil. Now, the pharmacy. Yeah. So it had to be somebody that knew her. And well, exactly. And well every night. Yeah. Well, exactly. Exactly. So the form, But listen to this. The form of strychnine used to kill like coyotes and gophers and rats and, and other pests contains less than 3% strychnine. But Patsy was killed with an almost pure form of the poison obtained legally only through chemical outlets to authorized buyers. So they ought to be able to track down who bought it. Well, you would think... <laughs> you would think well they didn't find the bottle of strychnine they only the the purity of it 
But well, yeah, but you would think they could track that back to who sells it and who bought it from them. Right? Well, yeah, you you would think because only a hundred companies around the country use or sell this strychnine, according to a spokesman for the Environmental Protection Agency. Mm-hmm. And so, mm-hmm. with those kinds of poisons, if you purchase them from a supplier, there's got to be like a chain of custody sort of thing. And it, there's also got to be a usage log where they, every time they take any out. Well, right. I always thought they you log to, it in. I always so. thought you had to sign for that stuff. I mean, yeah. genius, we have to sign for our medication now, you know, that if well, it's yeah. even close to being something narcotic or whatever, but, um, I mean, this was the 80s, but I worked in a lab in the 80s. And anytime I used any controlled substance like that, I had to sign for it, basically. Well, that's what is so kind of weird about this is that they can't track this back because, and then they keep saying, okay, authorities hope that someone will remember a suspicious sale around the time of our death. Well, okay, let me just school y'all on what happens when you take strychnine. It is known to be an excruciating death. Mm. Its toxicity produces some of the most dramatic and painful symptoms of any known toxic reaction. And it can be and most likely is going to be fatal. Several minutes after exposure, remember she took it at three and called her sister. Several Mm -hmm. minutes after exposure, your muscles begin to contract and spasm, typically starting with the head and the neck and then spreading diffusely. The convulsions are nearly continuous and can... It's like having a perpetual Charlie horse. It gets worse. So the convulsions are continuous and they can increase in intensity with like the slightest little stimulus or sound or light or touch twitching and spasms gradually develop and lead to violent tetanic seizures am i saying that right tetanic seizures i don't know i'd have to see the word t-e-t-a-n-i-c tetanic i guess yeah well in this kind of seizure it bends your head back all the way to your butt so, so that like an exorcist. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Seriously. I mean, to the point that your spine can be broken. Oh, geez. Can you imagine? And then no. your, fa- your face <laughs> turns blue because you're no suffocating. Yeah. And your face turns blue as you suffocate and your mouth starts to contract into a sort of fixed grin. And death occurs from asphyxiation caused by paralysis of the neural pathways that right. control breathing or... Yeah. And in conjunction to the sheer exhaustion due to the severity of the muscle convulsions. So a patient will die within hours of exposure. And think about it. Patsy was dead within an hour and 15 minutes from the dose. Oh, geez. Yeah. So there's no specific antidote for strychnine and treatment of strychnine toxicity is purely symptomatic. So there was speculation who had grade to this poison. Now, my grandmother was the kind of person who had like rat poison from 1936 under her kitchen right. sink, you know, well into the <laughs> 90s. So it, it would have been totally accessible in our house, right? She used to right. toss around rat pellets like they were confetti, okay? But I don't think that was the case here. No. So the FBI representative ruled out product tampering and the police... right. Never felt this was a suicide and we're back to finding a murder. Here we are. So they deemed Patsy was a low psychological risk for suicide because she fit none of the criteria. She had no financial strain. Her health was excellent. She was planning for the future. She had a new boyfriend. The day after she died, her alarm clock went off, indicating she was intending to wake up that morning. Right. But whoever used this to kill her had a few things in mind, I think. I think they really wanted her to suffer. Right. Sounds like. They didn't want to be around when it happened. Right. So it was well premeditated. And this person had a vengeance. Because one gram can kill you, but she had ingested enough to kill eight or nine people. Well, yeah. So this person wanted to make sure it was done right the first time. Yeah. And it would happen and be a done deal. Ain't no coming back from that. So so when we come back, enter the suspects. Be right back, Mm -hmm. y'all. Hi, I'm Jenny, the host of It's Murder Up North. If you're curious about the murderous north of England, this podcast is definitely for you. 
I've lived in various parts of the north of England. I went to college in the shadow of Saddleworth Moor, where Myra Hindley and Ian Brady buried those five innocent children. I've worked in the city of Leeds, where the Yorkshire Ripper targeted his victims in the 1970s. Knowing how geographically close I've been to these crimes made me curious, and that curiosity became this podcast. However, my main hope is to help you see the person, not the victim. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Hey, Kim. Guess what time of year it is? It's Halloween. And we've got a week of creepiness for our listeners. Yep. October 26th to the 30th, we'll be celebrating our favorite holiday with you, our favorite people. Each day, we'll have a brand new mini episode of something creepy and crawly for you to enjoy. So stop in and listen every day then tweet us for a chance at some killer kudzu giveaways cut that out it's undignified okay so enter the suspects in 1963 patsy and sally's father Tom Bolton opened his Southwestern Historical Wax Museum in Fair Park, where it was a big success, especially during the annual State Fair of Texas. In 1972, he moved it to Grand Prairie near the amusement mecca of North Texas, which would be Six Flags Over Texas in Arlington. Bolton died in 1976 in setting off a vicious inheritance battle between the sisters and their stepmother. Oh, uh-huh. money. Uh-huh. Okay. Sally and Patsy ultimately won, becoming controlling owners of the museum. But Patsy later told Karen Beatty that she would never leave her financial affairs in disarray, adamant that her children would not have to go through such a fight for what was rightfully theirs. Right. So this detail is important okay. big time later. Patsy amicably divorced Bill Wright in 1980. Sally also newly divorced her husband in 1981. Together they prospered as they continued to run the museum, although there were undercurrents between the two sisters. Sally seemed jealous of Patsy's good looks and instant appeal to men. Patsy felt that Sally was a doormat in her relationships, <laughs> which she nice. basically was. Mm-hmm. Okay. Patsy's children, Leslie and Wayne, were quickly ruled out, as well as her current boyfriend, Larry Todd, and ex-husband, Bill Wright, okay. who all passed polygraphs. Okay? It's a bunch of suspects there. Mm-hmm. Bill and Bonnie Alexander, the Heiko couple who boarded Patsy's horses also came under suspicion for cashing a check dated only the day before Patsy's death and Uh putting the horse's name in Alexander's name, not Patsy's. Remember how much those horses were? Yeah. Bonnie claimed Patsy didn't want her brother-in-law, Steve Horning, to get his hands on them in case something happened to her. Right. Keep in mind, this is the Steve, the brother-in-law, that found her on the bed dying. Mm Mm-hmm. Family members and wonder. did CPR. Yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> On yeah. a waterbed. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. With his hands wrapped around her throat. No. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> Family members wonder if the Alexanders might have had other motives. Even though there's no evidence to support such a theory, they suggest that Bill might have been in love with Patsy and been rebuffed because Patsy didn't want to hurt Bonnie, his wife. Right. Right. Realizing, though, he was about to lose the horses and a large portion of his income when she moved to her new ranch in Alito, you know, Bill could have poisoned her, right? Right. Or could it have been Bonnie because she was jealous of Patsy? And get this, horse breeders sometimes use strychnine. Really? Yep. Mm-hmm. For what? Um, 
I really don't know. I'm not, you know, but they use a lot of weird stuff on horses. I have no idea why. You know what? I think I actually did read that there was a little portion of if you use strychnine a teeny, teeny, teeny bit, you can, it can be almost like an an anesthetic. Okay. But I don't know. I'm not a vet. So um, anyway, but they too were both ruled out with the polygraph. So several months after beginning this investigation, Gus Gustafsson, remember the detective, got an anonymous yeah. phone call and it said, did you know that Leo Fikes dated Linda Donahue? The man asked. Hmm. Linda Donahue was another beautiful, sexy Arlington woman who had been found by her sister in her bedroom, nude. Her body was stabbed through the neck and smeared all over the place and swathed in blood. Now, she's... Gustafsson knew that Patty had dated and dumped Leo Fikes. Then his business, consider his business, Fikes Chemical Company. Mm -hmm. So he could possibly have access to strychnine. Oh, yeah. Now, searching through Denahu's personal effects, the detectives found Fikes business card. By the way, um, Leo was the son of the butcher who ran a meat processing plant. Interesting. And remember... Dry Leo, mm -hmm. that's that sort of dig can bring a lot of harm from a macho Texas boy. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Okay, I just looked this up. Okay, strychnine has been used as a performance enhancing drug in racehorses. Oh my, interesting. Well, anyway, Patsy, Patsy I had was to know. I know you did, and so did the rest <laughs> of the world. So there you go. Patsy's thing was not racehorses. She was into uh, cutting horses, and right. uh, cutting horses are usually great, big, really powerful, strong horses. And mostly, right. what you do is let the horse do its thing while you hang on. Right. And, yeah. Yeah. And there's she was wanting to do competitions and stuff like that. Anyway, so meanwhile, back to. Leo. Here's more of where it all comes together. So Leo Fikes meets Patsy in 1981 at the Dallas Country Club, where she was on the arm of fellow SMU alumnus Bob Cox, hmm. a successful businessman with a reputation as a high-stakes gambler. Dazzled. Because they keep saying she's so gorgeous. She was cute, but hey. <laughs> <laughs> Dazzled by Patsy's beauty and personality, our Leo privately asks Cox where things stood between him. And Cox said, you know, hands off, dude. So after yeah. she and Cox later married and abruptly divorced, Leo Fikes asks her out, not letting any grass grow under his feet. So they discover that they both have a love for horses. Here it's all coming mm -hmm. together. And mm -hmm. Fikes, Leo Fikes, introduces her to an old hobby of his, which is... Cutting horses. Interesting. There you go. So Patty was instantly enamored. She loved the horses. Mm -hmm. But things ultimately soured between them as he wouldn't stop playing the field. So Patsy dumped him and moved on, but she stayed in the horse circles. And right. if well, I'm one sure, would do that, wouldn't one? <laughs> well, as one does, because uh, the horse circles are where the money is. Exactly. In every culture. <laughs> so... Fikes was not under investigation for the death of Linda Donahue. Detectives are satisfied that he had only dated her a few times and he didn't offer. As for Patsy's murder, Fikes also passed a polygraph test and voluntarily took part in the filming of Unsolved Mysteries. Hmm. Are, are y'all ticking off suspects? Because, yeah. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so the investigation comes down to only two more suspects. Bob Cox, Patsy's ex-husband, and Steve Horning, her brother-in-law. Now, Patsy hated her brother-in-law, if y'all didn't pick up on that already. Mm -hmm. She called him a phony and a fake, and it infuriated her that Steve, in just a few years, had spent Sally's inheritance and had gone into debt for that much more playing the commodities markets and going big game hunting, playing the big man, right? Yeah, as they tend to do sometimes when they don't have any money. And spending the money like it's water. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Mm -hmm. So more motive for Steve. In June of 1987, Patsy determined to keep Steve from ever owning any portion of her assets. And she had discussed making a major change in a buy-sell agreement she had with Sally. Remember back that she didn't want her kids to have to go through the same fight right. she had with her stepmother? Right. So, okay. So 
each sister had a half million dollar life insurance policy on the other. Hmm. If one died, the survivor had to use the money to buy out the other's share of stock, leaving one sister as a sole owner. The other sister's heir would split the 500000 Okay. Now, it seemed like a good plan when they signed it in June of 1985, but several things happened that kind of made Patsy uneasy. First of all, the museum's stock had escalated in value, but she was more concerned that Sally was diagnosed recently, very recently, as having cancer in the fall of Mm -hmm. 1985. So Sally and Steve had been already having marital problems prior to this diagnosis. And if she died with the buy-sell agreement in place, Steve would receive the half million dollars. Right. So Both sisters agreed that the buy-sell agreement needed to be changed, so they scheduled a board meeting for early November to discuss the changes. But Patsy died two weeks before that meeting. Of course she did. Uh (laughs) Uh-huh. My money's getting narrowed and narrowed and narrowed down to who this is. (laughs) Yeah, it is. I know. I know. (laughs) Well, but wait, there's an even bigger player as we go. So thus the buy-sell agreement went into effect. Despite... Leslie and Wayne's pleading that Sally give them their mother's stock instead of money. Sally refused, telling them that they were too young and that the stock was worth more than it really had been when the agreement was signed. Well, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Meanwhile, Steve, under community property laws in Texas, has claimed to 25% of the stock. Nice. (laughs) Yeah. But if Sally dies... Before Steve, he, he will own the a- whole shebang. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yes, exactly. He owns a controlling share of the stock in the museum. Exactly what Patsy was trying to prevent. In 1970, here's a little background on him. Steve had been arrested and charged with assaulting a woman. And the charges were dropped. But his history of violence and his love of big game hunting and killing raised questions. Now, ultimately, mm-hmm. he was given another polygraph and he passed too. Right. So that leaves her ex-husband, Bob Cox. Now, here comes some, <laughs> some really crazy stuff. In the courtroom of Judge Ann Ashby Packer, attorney Leo Jordan. Yes, another Leo. <laughs> he is digging around and fishing around in a large box and he carefully draws out the head of Martin Luther King Jr. (laughs) Can y'all see it? What? He pulls out a wax head of Martin Uh, Luther King. A wax head? Well, you said he pulls out the head of Martin Luther King. Well, he pulls out this head. He pulls out a head. (laughs) And Leo plonks it on a rail near the jury. Okay. Plonks it on the rail. Can you visualize this? Then he pulls out another head of <laughs> Harry Truman, and then Booker T. Washington, and several other famous characters, and lines them up, big, 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 right in front of the jury. <laughs> oh my God! I can what only is the imagine. purpose? Oh, we're getting to that. We're getting to that. <laughs> I can only imagine. I mean, hey, who wants to waste a really great prop, right? <laughs> so. Creepy and eerie, the disembodied wax heads supposedly had been destroyed in this fire. Mm-hmm. But they, there they were, staring at the jury. Yeah. Now, the reason we're in court here today is that Cox is suing the Hartford Lloyd's insurance company for $400,000 plus punitive right. damages for its failure to pay his claim after the contents of... His wax wax museum museum. had burned down. So she's got a wax museum. Cox has a wax museum, all right? Dueling wax museums. This is the third (laughs) wax museum in our story so far, okay? Right, yeah. (laughs) Hartford Insurance Company is claiming that Cox is, is in desperate financial straits, and he had the fire set in order to collect the insurance. So all this drama was going on before Patsy married Cox, right? Now, he owned yet another wax museum that featured all these American presidents. He opened the wax museum in 1972 in the same state fair building that had been vacated when her daddy, remember her daddy who started all this? He moved out of that building basically because money was slowing down and he knew he needed to up his game. When Mm -hmm. he moved, Cox moved in. All this happened before they ever got together. 
I know. Cox moved his museum into the space her daddy had moved out before he hooked up with her. And oh my God, this is just so twisted. I, can't, I hope y'all can keep up. So the long and the short of it was that before this fire that he was in court about, he was kind of trying to scrape, scrape, still scrape together money because he was, remember, he was, he had a bad reputation for gambling. Remember? Right. Right. Well, Patsy didn't know that beforehand. And so while he was still married to, uh, what was her name? Kitty. His wife was named Kitty. Um, he came to Patsy and Sally to buy his pitiful little leftovers of inventories of those sad little heads, etc. Mm-hmm. Now he wanted $300,000. These numbers are incredible, right? He yeah. wanted 300000 for that, right? Well, Patsy had them all this stuff appraised and she <laughs> lowballed him at 14000 Oh, jeez. <laughs> and he was insulted, but well, he wasn't ashamed to ask her out. <laughs> and she wasn't, I, I, I think she was good with business, but she was really sucked at men. So yeah. they hooked up, and on January the 17th and 18th in 1983, Cox and Patsy took a trip to Galveston together. Um, for y'all who don't know, Galveston is right outside of Houston, and it's on the beach. So it's kind of like it would have been a seaside sort of thing. And he wanted to show her his plans to install yet another wax museum near the seawall. But on February the 1st, shortly after midnight, fires were set inside the building, destroying some of the contents. Cox would later claim that the hobos, he called them hobos, probably homeless people at this point, seeking shelter, Mm -hmm. set the fires. Mm -hmm. And attorneys for the Hartford would allege that Cox caused the fires to be set. To get the insurance money well right? yeah they they were bringing it out that you know he was in dire straits with a bunch right. of all his companies were now patsy never looked into any of that before she married him she looked into everything else but she apparently knew nothing of his finances when she and and bob married in april 1983 which is crazy for a woman with money, you always well, exactly. check out the check, but you always ask for the bank account information. Well, exactly. Now she married him months after the fire, so he, she didn't actually have any to do with all that. But still, right? He was overlapping right. women. He was overlapping his wife Kitty and her, and still trying to be, you know, Mister Smooth. So, but as soon as they got. Married, he was no longer the charmer, the attentive suitor. He became verbally abusive to her and her family. Well, that's that figures, right? Yeah, it's not shocking. Yeah. yeah, but the worst of all this is that Patsy was fitting the bill. He didn't pay for anything. Remember, he was addicted to gambling, and she didn't really realize that. And she soon discovered that he was spending most of his afternoons at the Dallas Country Club playing gin and poker for big bucks mm-hmm. in a mm-hmm. room off the 19 hole. Mm-hmm. So he I've was heard also, about that room. Yeah, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, there's a room. There's a room always somewhere in yep. a country club. So anyway, so he would go cash checks at the museum for thousands of dollars, saying that it was his winnings when he was really just covering for his losses. You know, right. mm-hmm. he'd have to go pay that money back. So Patsley realized that the end of her marriage was near when the Internal Revenue tried to attach her earnings to pay Cox's tax debts mm-hmm. of about 300000 Right. So at one point, he met the tax agent at their front door wearing tattered clothes as if he was destitute. <laughs> I mean, she was just mortified, right? I'm sure she was. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. So she told friends that he even had tried to have a prenuptial agreement declared null and void. Well, thank God she had that because it ultimately did prevent the IRS from getting her assets. You know? So frustrated. This kills me. Patsy calls Kitty Cox. <laughs> His ex-wife. Can you imagine? She calls his ex-wife and (laughs) Kitty gave her the number of a marriage therapist that she and Bob had used before their divorce. So Patsy. Wait, 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 wait. So she's going to therapy with Bob? No, 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 no. Bob. Okay. Bob and Kitty, his first, the first wife before he married Patsy, they were going to a therapist. Right. And when when Patsy calls Kitty to find out, oh my God, I'm in you know trouble. What happened? You know what? Tell me more, right? 
Mm-hmm. Kitty gives Patsy the name of the therapist, the marriage therapist, the marriage counselor that she and Bob had used before their divorce. See what I'm saying? Yeah, I know, but I'm just trying to figure out why she gave her the number. Well, here's we're about to tell you here. Okay. <laughs> because she goes along and talks to the counselor, right? Right. And then she ter- <laughs> she goes along and talks to the counselor. And the next thing you know, uh, she was telling, uh, ringing up her BFF, Karen, and telling her and a lot of other friends that the counselor told her, Patsy and Kitty, that she described Cox as a psychopath. I'm sorry, a sociopath, and that she needs to get out of the marriage as fast as she can. Oh, <laughs> I know. So their divorce was final in October of 1984. But she wasn't rid of him. I'll bet she wasn't because he's going to try to wring the last penny out of her. Oh, well, he just lost his mind because friends say she told him that he began stalking her and parking outside of her house and watching her. Mm -hmm. And one of Cox's employees once called Patsy and letting her know that Cox had borrowed her car in order to tail Patsy. Patsy also told friends that Cox had threatened to ruin her by their surveillance or something even more sinister. So Mm -hmm. she remembered Cox telling her while they were married that he knew people who could get, quote, anything done, including have someone, quote, snuffed out. Big man, big man talk. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So at the time, again, she took it as more of his just blow hard and big talk but she wasn't so sure now and at the urging of her aunt and her sister she installed a security system she also got a restraining order on cox prohibiting him from coming within 100 feet of her good for her but they usually don't work very well okay turn the rewind just a second here now in Mm -hmm. september of 1986 cox's attorney deposed patty for the upcoming civil trial remember the trial Right, yeah. With poor Martin Luther King's head. Yeah. Okay, so Cox's attorney deposed Patsy, but it became obvious to Leo Jordan, the Hartford attorney, that Patsy Wright might be able to help his case. So he met with her eight to ten times in 1986 in 1987 to discuss the value of the property. And Patsy had other information. Her other information was that she knew that one of the most valuable pieces in the collection, an antique chest, supposedly mm-hmm. destroyed by the fire, had never been moved to Galveston. It was all actually in Bob Cox's Garland office. Interesting. Remember, because she had everything. That's called Christ. insurance fraud. Yeah, it is. Can you say fraud <laughs> when big O capital letters? Fraud. Mm-hmm. Sources say that Cox began to call Patsy, urging her to change her testimony, but Patsy refused. She said, I'm gonna, I'm just going to tell the truth. Mm-hmm. Good for her. Well, she was killed about 10 days before the trial date set for November 1987. You know, could Cox and have he decided? he was a sociopath. Yeah. According to the shrink. Yeah. So could he have decided that with so much money at stake, he just couldn't afford to have Patsy testify against him? Right. And then after her death, Gustafsson, remember our detective, interviewed Cox. Mm -hmm. And he, of all these people and all these suspects, he refused to take the polygraph test. And Mm. he would not cooperate with the crew from Unsolved Mysteries. And Mm. he wouldn't give anyone doing any kind of interview or story on this any time of day. Somehow, somehow, he won the arson trial, and the jury awarded him one point three million. That's because juries these days hate corporations, and so they will they will rule against them just for the hell of it. I tend to believe that, especially when there was a whole lot of fast money back in the eighties, and people mm-hmm. really were starting to be divided between all that, and you know, and it was sort of chances are. Because they were in such a high society, they just wanted to punish the insurance company. So anyway, the insurance company was unable to establish that he set the fire. So I'm really, I'm really kind of shocked at this, especially since they could locate the antique box. But right, right. Well, I guess they had to prove it was actually him. And, you know, he could have said, oh, I made a mistake when I put that on the list, you know. Mm-hmm. So. But get this. The Highland Park Gossip Mill remembered a murder mystery party given by Cox after Patsy's death. And mm-hmm. Bob was the only one who guessed the murderer 
had hired a hitman. Interesting. And that came from one of the friends who was at the party. Well, now see, a few minutes ago, I would have said it was the brother-in-law, but now, right, not so sure. I know exactly. So okay, so but wait, there's more. <laughs> so the fires keep coming. Okay, so eleven months after Patsy died. The Wax Museum of the Southwest burned to the ground. And I'm here to tell y'all I saw that. I personally saw that. The flames oh, and everything at the time. And it was... It you should might, for, must have been massive because yeah, of all that wax. It was. It was <laughs> It was incredible. And the smoke. And it was just... It was on uh, a major highway. And oh my God. And anyway, so uh, arson investigators ruled that the fire had started at, at an electrical box. And the insurance paid $4 million. Not nearly enough to replace the museum, which will right. cost about 5.5 to rebuild. But almost immediately, Sally Horning, who ultimately outlived Patsy after all, mm. began to rebuild the facility and replaced. It had a Western look, kind of looked like right. an old saloon. She replaced it with like an Aladdin's palace. And I guess... I guess it's kind of fitting that it reopened in 1989 as Ripley's, believe it or not, because listen to all this twisted stuff with a, with Louis Tussard's Palace of Wax as one of the attractions. And it's still going strong in 2020. Now, the irony of this, or I don't know, maybe not irony. Patsy's father had originally been to Madame Tussard's in England, and this was the inspiration for his own museum in Texas. So all things are coming full circle in a creepy way, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> but wait, there's more. Two weeks later, twenty-five after the place burned down, 25-year-old mortuary student Stanley Lester Pointer was caught trying to steal a ledger from the ashes. Pointer mm-hmm. had a previous arrest for arson. And because of that, he was looked at as a possible suspect in both of these museum fires and Patsy's death. But he hmm. was released due to lack of evidence because they didn't know they didn't know why he wanted that ledger, right? And in 1991, Dallas police made an attempt to re-question him. However, Pointer tried to flee the scene in his vehicle, and since he kind of like almost ran over the police officer in the process. The police officer opened fire and killed him. Oh, jeez. I know. Can you imagine? Can you believe it? So, as a side note to, at the time of the fire, also to Patsy's museum housed a lot of famous guns of outlaws and real memorabilia like Clyde Barrow's 12-gauge shotgun, as in Bonnie and Clyde, Mm -hmm. and John Wesley Harden's Colt single-action arm. There were lots of guns there. Right. Also most noted for their Bonnie and Clyde death car, which was actually a movie prop. It wasn't the real deal. A lot of people Mm -hmm. think it is when they see these things. It's not the real deal, y'all. Anyway, I'm kind of shocked that poor Patsy didn't really actually wind up in the wax museum. (laughs) (laughs) You'd think that like all these wax museums, Bob would have hidden her body there in plain sight. You know, hey, we'd all think she just... That's kind of a ghoulish thing that somebody would do, isn't it? Coat them in wax. I mean, we'd all just think she she went off to the Bahamas, right? You know, hey, look at Patsy. What a tribute. She looks low just like her. (laughs) Now, one more thing. One more thing. Patsy's secretary, Lori Ann Williams, died mysteriously in 1984, shortly before her death. She had complained of stomach problems. Now, her cause of death was officially listed as viral pneumonia. However, a forensic scientist believes that she was also poisoned. They didn't exhume her, but... Sounds it's not, likely to me. Yeah, it's not known if the two deaths are related for sure, but it's... She was the test run. Yeah, that's exactly what I think. She's the test drive by the same killer for what had happened to Patsy. So so my money at this point is on Bob. What do y'all think? I think that we are going to add a disclaimer here that says anything that we talk about is pure speculation on our portfolio entertainment. Oh, absolutely. This is us. This is us just being. But I'm going to say Bob, too. Yeah, this is us just bench racing, as they used to say. You know, we're just we're just talking about it. We have no idea one way or the other. But, you know, we're just looking at the details and going, my God, what a twisted, crazy Tail, who knew there were so many wax museums? And oh my god, <laughs> but I'm just gonna say this is purely speculation for entertainment purposes only. <laughs> oh, yeah, this is all this is all just you know what's in our twisted brains <laughs> because they really don't know, but at the same time, it is. 
it's still a, a case that hasn't been solved. Uh, well, and they could have it could have been the guy looking for the ledger, you know. Right, right. They don't know why so. they don't know why he was doing that because remember he was like and I find it creepy that he was a mortuary student too. I mean, yeah. these well, he might have also been hired by somebody. Maybe he was the hitman, and maybe he was hired by somebody to go try to retrieve that ledger. Who knows? You know, I don't know. There's a lot of details that are here. It's all such a tangled web. But also, too, I mean, it could be. It could totally be a Dallas episode. I mean, it just couldn't happen anywhere besides <laughs> Dallas. And then it was all with. a dream. <laughs> Yeah, it was all a dream. Who shot JR? <laughs> I don't know. I thought it was a crazy story. And like I say, wax museums totally creeped me out. It was very interesting. Well, I hope so. I, you know, I, <laughs> I hope it made you laugh a time or two. It was very convoluted and I'm not really sure I had, I caught everything. <laughs> to well, honest. I'm sorry about that. There was just so many moving parts, but the gist yeah. of it was she took a big old swig of NyQuil and she bought the big one within an hour and 15 minutes. And, and she got her night quilled. Yeah. Somebody did it to her. That's really the yeah. bottom line. And yeah. everyone, everyone totally believes that it had to be someone that knew her. And so that it is somebody that they know that's within their circle. And yeah, I think that's of kind of the, you know, that's always a whodunit of Agatha Christie stories. It's somebody in this room. Who is it? You well, know? and that's kind of, I'd be kind of creeped out if I were any of the people that knew I wasn't the one because exactly. all other people could be and you could be next. So. Exactly. Exactly. So, you know, it kind of creeped me out for whatever reasons because they're still all out of jail. And I guarantee yep. you they're still all sipping martinis at the Dallas Country Club if they can. <laughs> if they're alive. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that's been a while now, a long time ago, so I don't know what update is, but I thought it was interesting and I thought it was fun. So I hope you guys do yeah. too. Yeah, alrighty then. And uh, in the meantime, again, come on back for our Fridays, Forensic Fridays, as mm-hmm. we try to school y'all on something we find interesting. Yep. And uh, if y'all have any suggestions or stories you'd like us to do or dive into we're happy to hear from y'all so have a great week and we'll see y'all soon bye y'all bye